podcast need to play nobody it's the hurry up edition richard are you ready i sure am i got a roommate who's asleep because it's nine in the morning yeah all this is being done because i have to finish up to take a five-year-old to chuck e cheese for his birthday is this important college football journalism nope this is the personality driven content that people crave in the new media era let's go right now richard how bad is florida state uh, like bad like I, it's not even that they're bad it's like it's so I you know I was watching the game yesterday I pretty much watched the second half the whole time I was like so is Florida State gonna throw the ball downfield or what's the deal there it, it's just so the offense the passing offense at least is so horizontal and they are so lucky that they have Cam Akers uh, James Blackman goes 14 of 16 to end the game. They beat U, uh, UL Monroe in overtime because of a missed extra point. It was going to go to a second overtime if they made the extra point. Um, uh, but James Blackman goes 14 of 16 to end that game, right, with a nine-completion streak. They're basically all screens. Even the touchdown they have to keep themselves in the game and take that to overtime was a long touchdown that Akers basically did himself. Um, you know, one of the interceptions that Blackman threw yesterday was a screen that a defensive lineman uh, sniffed out. Florida State showed some explosiveness against Boise State to get down the field. They have to show that again, or this is going to be a long season. USF is terrible. They're a mess, and they're not getting any better at all, are they? It's not even that it's a mess on the field. The problem is the mess off the field. Uh, you know, that buyout structure is, is uh, tricky, as we learned on the Banner Society this week. It's, it's not actually what it is. Yeah, we, we sat and we talked about how uh, how that Charlie really you know should probably win this game and all this kind of stuff. I get that they were an underdog to Georgia Tech, but if you're a USF fan, you know you're not happy with the loss to Wisconsin, but you get it. You know, getting beaten by Georgia Tech, you think that you should be able to beat Georgia Tech. You beat Georgia Tech last year, and this Georgia Tech team is rebuilding and and with a whole new offensive system. So now you get down to brass tacks. Can we get rid of Charlie? Uh, you, probably not. No. So you're on the hook for a, at least $20 million for an indoor facility uh, at the very least. If you want to make it a weight room so your football team doesn't have to share the weight room with women's volleyball, then that price tag is going to go up 30, maybe 40 million. Okay. But now you want to fire Charlie. Well, Charlie's buyout on its face is minimal. The contract that I have is minimal. But the funny thing is USF has a second contract with Charlie Strong, just like they had with the old athletic director. That buyout is rumored maybe four, five, six million dollars. So you got to maybe fire Charlie. You got to hire a new coach. And then you're trying to build this thing at the same time. USF like doesn't have the money. Georgia Tech wins fourteen to ten. It was not a uh, it was not a pretty game to watch in any stretch whatsoever. Obviously, first win for Jeff Collins and the Jackets, but it was it was ugly. Uh, let's stay in Florida, obviously, and uh, go ahead and just clean up the state for me real fast. Yeah, uh, Gators roll forty five nothing. Miami, God, Miami. You hey, you keep disparaging the North Carolina Tar Heels two God. weeks in a row. Return of the Mac. Uh, I had Miami minus five. That was a bad bet. Uh, college kicker situation, Bubba Baxa, who was a good kicker, uh, but missed a kick to tie that game. Uh, UCF, UCF's QB situation is, I don't think it's bad, but Dillian, Dylan Gabriel might have Wally pipped Brandon Wimbush. Um, we'll see. Obviously, they roll over FIU anyway. Um, but, you know, as they get into the, the Memphises of the world, maybe some teams that they may have a little tighter games, you know, we'll see what happens with that quarterback situation. Uh, Syracuse. Oh, okay. We can look at it from the Syracuse angle. Uh, good on Maryland for getting the feels. Mike Loxley, obviously, this is uh, a nice little piece of proof of concept with no context around it. 
now tell me about what the hell's happening at Syracuse other than just a lot of roster turnover. It's an offensive line issue, and that problem may get a lot worse on Saturday with Clemson coming in. Um, so they had the center that got hurt. So they had kicked their original center, longtime center, out to left tackle, and they had a different center in. That center got hurt. So you move the left tackle back to center. Um, you have a grad transfer now playing at left tackle, a grad transfer from South Alabama. He was faced up against a Clemson transfer on the other side from Maryland, did not have a great day. Um, and they also have a freshman, excuse me, grad transfer playing right tackle, redshirt freshman playing left tackle. That's what I meant to say. Um, and it was a shit show yesterday. They became one-dimensional and Maryland really pinned the ears back uh, because Maryland gets up big in that game. They're up, I think, like 21 to nothing in that game, 21 to seven. But what really broke the game open was actually it looked on its face a nice play from Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito uh, evades a rush, climbs the pocket, and then just throws an awful pass to a receiver who's not looking, and it becomes an interception. Maryland scores the next play, and the game's blown open. Illinois had five sacks and 12 tackles for a loss. Please explain to me in less than 20 seconds why should we care at all about Illinois beating UConn? Baby, it's an Illinois-adjusted incredible performance. 60 plays total for UConn. Like you said, five sacks, 12 tackles for loss. Illinois swarmed. They looked good. They brought exotic pressure. Illinois adjusted. Illinois is going to beat somebody in the Big Ten, which is more than can be said for the last few years. Um, Okay, Uh, just go ahead. We're not really going to delve into any blowouts when we do the top 25. They're functional. I'll talk a little bit about why you schedule these teams, why you truly schedule these teams in September when we get to Penn State in a second. Just read me Jalen Hurd's stat line for Oklahoma. 14 of 18, 259 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, completions of 48, 20, 27, 32, 49. That's just through the air. Uh, yeah, I, I got a feeling this is going to be fun. Um, this is ended up being a Pac-12 heavy episode, but it ended up being sort of a, just a mash, a gumbo, if you will, of Pac-12 narrative. Uh, the Southern California Trojans have a functional football team with a true freshman quarterback and none of us saw it happening. It's yeah, I shock. I like, don't even really have a joke here. Like, no, this is how it's supposed to look. Like, I know, like, there there's some USC fans that are not pleased with Clancy Pendergast and the defense. Okay, I get it. I understand it. But, you know, you're in the Pac-12. They clamped down in the second half. They absolutely clamped down there. Uh, Davis Mills and Stanford came out, looked pretty good in the first half, all things considered, given that they were starting a, a new quarterback as well. But, you know, uh, USC capitalized in the red zone. Five of five. Four of them were touchdowns. Um, you know, they maybe they fell ass first into a quarterback, but – they fell ass first into a quarterback. We'll see. Against Fresno, the guy showed that he can spin it, and yesterday he looked more efficient. So, yeah, I, I, there's optimism around USC. Here's the only thing about, I can say about Keaton Slovis right now, just because we don't have that much to, to, to go by. Uh, maybe, possibly, this is why everyone in, in like an entire region of the country runs this damn offense, because you can take a freshman and put him in situations where he can make a, he, he can be efficient. He can make a lot of good throws, build a lot of momentum, and you can move the ball. So maybe this is why Graham Harrell was a really good hire for USC. It's just it's still shocking to look, talk about him in this context. I'd also throw out really fast before we move on. It is time to adjust and look at. I know they have a quarterback situation as well. Stanford in a plateau right now because I definitely think they are. Stanford is diminishing returns. I said it yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, the Pac-12. Yeesh. Uh, the Pac-12's best playoff chance lost at 4.30 a.m. Eastern on a TV channel nobody has. That's it. So that's a joke. If you're listening to this right as we as we get it up, you may not know this, and that's fine. Cal beat Washington last night. Cal of the, 
of the amazing gritty defense and all that, 20 to 19, they beat, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people liked Oregon, and I still do. We'll talk about them in a second, but what happened? Jacob Eason, like, wasn't good. I, I don't have the line in front of me. I think it was like 18 to 30 last night. Like, Jacob Eason was not great in that game. And But on the other hand, that's the, mo- that's the most Cal shit ever. For Cal to win that game that way yep. in the you know, on a shitty field condition in the slop. That game was delayed for hours because of weather. Like, that is some Cal shit. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Cal's really good. I liked Cal a lot. Um, their next games are against a, a and we don't know, really know North Texas team that they should be fine against. And then they go to Ole Miss, which will be a, a little strange. But honestly, they should be fine. They just beat Washington. So, Watch out for Cal as a Pac-12 favorite. I'm not trying to ask a question here, but um, all right, moving on real fast. Uh, so your one note on Auburn is that Tulane held the Tigers to 4.6 yards per play. Yeah, I I do not know if Auburn has a problem, but yeah. I am flagging it as perhaps that they do. Booby Whitlow 3.1 yards per rush when you strip out the 25-yard touchdown run. Uh, you know, I know there's some people who think Gus kind of hides stuff for important opponents. Definitely. That's fine. Yeah. I get it. But at the, you. at the end of the day, Gus's staple is to mash ass. And Auburn, Auburn should be able to mash Tulane's ass. I know Tulane and held up and they looked really good against FIU. Two, or, uh, Auburn should be able to mash. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I am flagging Auburn right now. Here, here's why I would hold off on flagging them just a little bit. It's a damn good defense. I don't know if Bo Nix is good either. The other I don't No, know. he's a freshman. He's a freshman, and that's fine. But but it is a – and I'm not saying this ironically anymore, Richard. This is a Kevin Steele defense and possibly the best defensive line in the country. Well, okay, I get it. And I don't want to be – I don't want to go crazy over LSU's result either last night, even though, look, Joe Burrow looked really, really good. But, like – if, if that ends up becoming, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, but if LSU-Auburn becomes a shootout, what's Auburn going to do? I don't know if it'll become a shootout, honestly, but, I, I mean, we'll get to LSU in a second. Um, okay, uh, let's move on. Wow, we're doing good on time, buddy. I'm impressed. Okay, uh, Kansas. Kansas, um, <sighs> let, let me just say this real fast, and you could speak to it a lot more intelligently than me. Um the reason why he got fired, guys, is like I know he's a fun personality, but like he's an incredibly horrific situational coach on game day, and uh, that didn't change, y'all. Kansas, Kansas had zero timeouts for basically the entire fourth quarter. Uh, I think Les Miles ran out of timeouts at fourteen thirty-two in the fourth quarter, roughly. Um, more than that, Kansas had four. Four second half drives. They had nine drives total in this game against Coastal Carolina. Can you pronounce their? Can you pronounce their mascot? By the way, they won twelve to seven, and I was I was going to do it, but I think I butchered every time. Chanticleers. Chanticleers or Chanticleers? Chanticleer. Oh, I don't know. Right? I don't know. Uh, Four second half drives for Kansas. They go interception, turnover on downs, turnover on downs in the red zone for some extra spice. Turnover on downs to end the game with like a minute and a half left. They lose 12 to 7 to Coastal Carolina, I believe, at home. That is stunning. Even for Kansas, that is stunning. Richard, a little bit more foreshadowing here. Um, We're going to talk about BYU doing BYU things. BYU did a Wisconsin thing in Wisconsin last year, and now Wisconsin seems to be back to being a complete and total Wisconsin. 
Uh, as the urban philosopher T. Payne so eloquently stated, I can put you in a mansion, mansion somewhere in Wisconsin. Total score for Wisconsin this season, 110 to 0. I don't care who it's against. USF Central Michigan, 110 to 0. Uh, when I watch Wisconsin, I scan through that game. It's just funny to see how many, like, people are in the backfield like moving around and it's not like you're going from one opposite side of the formation to the other it's like you're moving from the end line of scrimmage to right next to jonathan taylor like they're they're diamond formation it's h-back shifting and fullback shifting and a bunch of corn-fed white guys who just want to move your ass out of the hole so jonathan taylor can get where he's going wisconsin's fun again um okay moving on uh compare and contrast for me real fast um Oh, wait, hang on. Let's do Virginia Tech first. Virginia Tech, um, they didn't lose, and they beat ODU, but they certainly didn't do it in a convincing fashion. I don't think anything I've said on the record, especially a bunch of Tech fans getting mad saying that I shouldn't say that ODU has, has supplanted them or usurped them, no, but they definitely have taken something away from them, and I, my opinion didn't change against in that game against on Saturday. Uh, Virginia Tech wins, what, 31-17. I think they added a score late to kind of make it relatively convincing. Look, all I know is Justin Fuente benched Ryan Lewis with like eight minutes left in the game, said he could have put him back in, but Lewis had two fumbles late. They had five fumble or five turnovers last week against Boston College, flagging Virginia Tech as we yeah. flagged Virginia Tech the last two or three weeks. Uh, just compare and contrast real fast. You have you have two Big Ten stalwarts in Ohio State and Michigan. You have two extremely good G5 opponents uh, that sort of come in with, with very signature styles. Ohio State murdered Cincinnati. I'm not going to give you a bunch of stats, but in every phase of the game, they were just completely better. And this was a Cincinnati team that plays good defense. I've been, I've been stumping hard on, uh, way ahead of schedule with Luke Fickle. Just, ugh, I mean... Justin Fields was great. Uh, J.K. Dobbins ran for eight yards a carry. I mean, they just murdered him. Justin Fields had like five incompletions. I think three of them were throwaways. Michigan then, they survived Army. And, and I mean, all, all anti-Michigan jokes and bias aside. Oh, no, no, no. This is an anti-Michigan joke. This is this is Army losing that game. They lost the game several times. I mean, the two the two that hurt the most, if you're, if you're rooting for that Army upset, is throwing the pick in, in obviously bad footing, bad position, because you run the triple and you don't have the arm strength to make that, that, that throw. But you're in the red zone. You, you could have been up 21-7 and it ends up swinging to, to, to 14-all. It's, it's painful that they threw the pass. Um, and then the other one, of course, is that they didn't go for it at midfield on, on fourth down. And ended up losing the game because they got put into another bad uh, passing situation in the second overtime. So uh, the only thing you should take from this, one, Ohio State, by every measure now, complete. Michigan, is serious offensive issues. Uh, we're going to move on just to keep pace. Uh, Boise State, I, I don't think I overreacted too much on the Florida State thing, even though we know that there's big issues there. I just think that, hey, look, just like we talked about with Auburn, Boise State as a true freshman quarterback. There's going to be some hiccups for a while. Um, they had some seriously, seriously bad issues with finishing drives against Marshall. They came back. They won the game 14-7. to uh, I've got a bunch of notes here, but I'm going to skip through them, where essentially they just could not finish drives. They either had turnovers or they had a botched snap in the red zone. They had a holding penalty that negated an early touchdown. I think Boise State's going to be fine. Marshall, this is probably just one of those years where Marshall upticks because of their qualifier thing, and we'll, we can explain that on a later PAPN. Um, moving on, Richard Clemson, they're that good. Uh, A&M, still TBD. What I learned about A&M is that Kellen Mon is not going to beat you by himself. It's certainly not against Clemson's defense. And that, that's really it. Um, Clemson didn't let him run the ball. Uh, I thought, I, I was really actually, when you look at the whole game, I was most impressed, just like I was last year, with Texas A&M's defense, to be totally honest with you. 
I, I mean, I'm going to take that also a different way. You mentioned Kellen Mond. What Clemson did on defense, I think, was really, really interesting. Um, you kind of go back and watch that game again. Clemson, like, it, literally every single play, the left side of Clemson's secondary did something. They moved. They put, they put a, they moved a safety into the box. They moved a safety out of the box. They backed the corner off. They bluffed a blitz. They did all this kind of stuff. They ended up, like – honestly playing like triple high at the snap and then rotating that into single or double like it was a very interesting uh defensive performance by brent venables as crew uh just quick shout out southern illinois fcs team that was two and nine last year they beat uh umass oh my god let's just talk about this umass is extremely extremely bad um i know transitive wins are dangerous here and all that but like last week southern illinois still like a, re- a rebuilding bad fcs program they lost to southeastern missouri they come in and thump umass southeastern missouri last lost last night this is just like again i don't like doing the transitive thing especially just after two weeks but i mean this could be a historically bad season for umass i know everyone's sort of looking for their bottom 10 that's your number one with the bullet uh let me move on real fast I initially wrote that Tommy Stevens' health is huge for the SEC West. That was before I kind of really soaked in what LSU is doing now. Uh, obviously, I think the, the SEC West is Alabama and LSU and then a, and then a, a division. However, uh, Mississippi State beat Southern Miss, sort of a rivalry game, whatever, 38-15. to 15. Stevens was 9 of 10 for 105 yards. Then he leaves the game with an injury. They haven't really clarified what that is yet. It wasn't a knee. It was upper body, it looked like. He seemed to be fine on the sideline. The reason why I flagged this is like, Without a guy who knows the Moorhead offensive quarterback, this is a completely different game for so many other teams in the SEC where it's a swing game for good teams or a trap game for really good teams. This is just something to watch, not necessarily for the Alabamas, LSUs, and Georgias of the world, but pretty much everybody else is looking, is this a win or a loss? And, and I think Mississippi State has probably the highest potential variation in the league right now. Um, all right. Colorado. The only thing I'm going to plug about Colorado is that we have a piece coming up. If you're listening to this on Sunday, it should be up by now, Richard. There was a 96-yard flea flicker in the comeback. That was uh, absolutely beautiful. It was, it was amazing. I, it was amazing. I Like a Mel Tucker football team and all that means – and Mel, Mel Tucker's defensive first, all that kind of stuff. And they did a flea flicker in which they literally pitched the ball into the end zone and then threw it for a touchdown. Chip Kelly, uh, he's not in any kind of trouble, guys. Uh, people ask on Twitter. They make jokes and stuff. I don't know. San Diego State, 123-14. to 14. Um, I would Shout out, by the way, to the Aztecs. This was their first win over UCLA in 23 games. 23 tries in program history. This was their first win. Uh, UCLA disappeared in the fourth quarter. I mean, he's not getting fired, guys. They're in the longest rebuild phase with, with complete and total certainty in him. Whether or not that's a good thing, we'll find out. Uh, Richard, while we were both asleep, Hawaii, uh, they're 2-0 and now. It was not an impressive win against Oregon State. It is worth mentioning because they've beaten two Pac-12 teams now in Hawaii. Um, Oregon State had a chance to tie the game with like two minutes left. I think they had a 54-yard field goal attempt. Um, Cole McDonald. If I was a bad sports writer, I would call him the Hawaiian howitzer. Um, <laughs> that was the one that I thought of this morning over coffee. Uh, it's another 400-yard passing game, four TDs. He was. I mean, I take out of this game more, like you got the note here, like I think Oregon State is getting better. Like, that's what I take out of this game. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, Buffalo, this is why you schedule these games. You got to give Penn State credit in the post-McSorley era. They knew that they were going to reshape themselves, both with the offensive identity, where now they're really post-Moorhead. They blew out Idaho because Idaho's bad, and Idaho's an FCS team now. Buffalo, they had 46 plays to Penn State's 20 in the first half. They led 10-7 at the half. We kind of all started doing our jokes, and then everything just flipped immediately yeah. and then Penn State was like we're we're gonna win this game 
talent takes over at a certain point when you're a program that has that has fortified and developed talent. Even though you're questionable in certain areas or slow to start on an offense, this is why you schedule. By the way, Buffalo is a good football team. This is not just a, a sacrificial lamb. John Reed had the pick six. That's actually when I flipped over the game, and then pretty much after that, it was just a foregone conclusion. Um, there were a lot of big, dumb blowouts. We're not going to mention them all here, Richard, because we still have to talk about LSU and Texas, but uh, the one that I'm going to kind of keep an eye on is Oregon-Nevada just because of what happened uh, the previous week with Purdue. And then Oregon, obviously, stumbling against Kevin Steele's defense. That's the one that I'm most interested in. Uh, oh, my God, Tennessee lost to Phil Fulmer. Or t- Tennessee lost to Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's going to have Phil Fulmer. Tennessee lost to BYU. Uh, <laughs> the I Mormon Manziel cometh. Oh, my God. Uh, Zach Wilson, if you didn't watch anything in the, uh, anything in this game. Literally don't watch it until the last, like, five minutes in the fourth quarter. It's a 64-yard pass from Zach Wilson and Micah Simon that sets them up with, I think, 14 seconds left on a third down. They kick a field goal. They go in. They're better and calmer and more aggressive on the ground, honestly, yes. in overtime. That, more than anything, that was what I took from that. At the end of the day, BYU was ready to win that game, and Tennessee wasn't. If Tennessee wasn't ahead in that game, if Tennessee wasn't controlling that game, they got to a place where BYU knocked them off, and they could not recover. So, uh, if you hadn't read it, if you haven't read it until now, we're going to refresh it throughout the day. I did a Reddit exclusive Banner Society post on Friday, talking about the very, very sort of like not jokey, like like uh reality sound i don't know what word i'm looking for here like just very plausible situation in which phil fulmer takes over as interim head coach because of the buyouts associated with pruitt and butch jones if you don't understand tennessee gets chattanooga next week and they just lost their coach last year they're gonna win that game and then after that they're gonna get murdered i don't have it in front of me i think it's out of order but it's it's florida first yeah it's florida and then it's uh in in i don't think it's this order i think it's it's florida then georgia mississippi state alabama it's those it's those four teams. I don't have the the schedule in front of me, but they're going to lose all those games flat out. Even if, <laughs> even even if, just to harken back to the situation with Tommy Stevens, I think they're so bad that honestly, like State's backup didn't look terrible against USM. I think that's a situation they could win that game too. So, um, we are cratering in Knoxville, Richard. We're going to talk for exactly two minutes about LSU and Texas. Look, I, I think I said earlier I don't want to overreact to LSU in Texas. Yeah. I'm, I lied. I do. I do. I really okay. do. Joe what, direction are, what direction are we going in the overreaction? I'm doing the Joe Burrow thing, and I'm sorry. It's basic. I, I'm sorry. Joe Burrow was so good last night. Dude, that last touchdown, that, that last pass, that, I mean, it was just he, like, that, that it, sick. It's one of those things where that offense fits him and progression is not linear but he took a step up from last season i i mm-hmm. you know we all saw what lsu was last season I, I saw that in person when they played florida like it like i i don't know man they were attractive and they were multiple and they moved quickly and they figured it out because the beginning of that game it was like this is the same lsu offense it's just moving faster and then burrow kind of got settled in in a road environment i know dkr is a church at best but they got settled in in a big game environment, and they looked really good. I'll give some credit to DKR. You're completely right, because every game I've ever worked there is a joke in terms of noise. You could feel it a little bit. Uh, At the end, you could, yeah. Yeah, especially as they swung back in the third quarter when Texas got back. I mean, there's a million things we could say about this game. I, I Three think LSU Te- receivers had over 100 yards in that game. Jesus. Texas is – I think Texas is fine, uh, developmentally fine. El- Ellinger, great. Like – no problems, no issue with Texas. I think it's just that 
I mean, you kind of already said it. Burrow's making the throws. We're talking a lot about the system right now, but he's also making the throws. And he looks calm and confident doing it. And this is a this is a type of arsenal that I'm just going to go ahead and skip right through. This is what you've never been able to take into a game against Alabama before. Because the defense is not bad either. Texas is just extremely good at what they do. And they kind of wanted, they got into the Big 12 thing for a minute. When I think people got, I think LSU got a little tired and Texas tempoed them a little bit. But like, this is this is an LSU arsenal just to throw it way down the road that feels like, at worst, we're going to have an interesting Alabama game this year. It's And it's not that LSU hasn't had receivers, obviously. We, we know that they have. Uh, Justin Jefferson is a dude, let me tell you. Like, he's a dude, dude. All right, Richard. Uh, we're going to go over just by a little bit. But in 60 seconds, tell me why... We need to know about Kent State, other than the fact that they beat Kennesaw State by three points in overtime. Uh, speaking of overtime, this is probably the joke of the weekend. Um, Temple and Maine are playing a field hockey game on Kent State's campus. I believe it's a tournament of some sort. Um, they go into double overtime. Maine field hockey, it, actually pretty good. I believe they're ranked. Um, Kent State admins come out on the field and say, we have to stop the game because our football team is playing Kennesaw State. Uh, Kent State, I believe, ended up winning that game. If you're playing along at home, the field hockey field and the football field are not the same thing. These ladies had to clear off the field hockey field so that Kent State could shoot noontime fireworks for their football game. I'm sorry. It's as ridiculous as it sounds. So I was just at Kent State, Richard, and I, uh, I was at the football stadium because I was, I was interviewing Sean Lewis. I don't, I did not see an adjacent field. I'm still very confused by this, and the details emerge. Bottom line is, guys, start one thing earlier, or just wait thirty minutes, or just don't shoot the fucking fireworks off. Fireworks what? at noon. God bless you, Ohio. Uh, Richard Johnson. We'll see you this week on PAPN. Thank you. That was your week too.